All around the world, killer bees start swarming them. You can't stop us, you can't block us. Rock us or mock us, knock us or top us. Better sit back and watch us. Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. I'm John Legner from PewterReport.com. Along with me today, a brand new guest to the show, someone I am excited to have with us, Paul Atwal. You know him on Twitter maybe as at HossYJuke. He has been breaking down Bucks film, at least as all this past season. He was a great resource for many of you who are on the Twitter world. Uh, who have gotten to interact and talk with Paul about concepts and things that the Bucks did and how they were different from what the Patriots did. And now we are we are excited to reveal the man behind the avatar, the man behind the Twitter handle and Paul Atwell. Paul, thanks, man, for being on the show. This is awesome. Thanks for having me, man. It's so cool to be on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm pumped that you're on here. It's it's. I think we're gonna have some great dialogue. I know one of the things that if people don't know, you haven't been on our our locker room slash Spotify green room sessions, is that one of the coolest things about being on there, and why I'll always you know plug for those those green room sessions on here, uh, is that we talk about a lot of this X's and O stuff. We get into some of the nitty gritty and some of the stuff that you don't necessarily hear us talk about all the time on the podcast. So we'll bring a little bit of that to today's show, but we'll keep the the fun flavors that we always have in the show as well too. We're not going to bog you down with technicalities. We're gonna we're gonna make the stuff understandable for you. That's what we're gonna do. Um, so you're gonna end up being a fan that's that's more informed than other fans and. Those kind of moments, I've been really impressed with your knowledge of the game and how much you've thrown yourself into kind of studying this team and studying this offense, not only where they are now, but where they were at the beginning of the season, where Brady was at other points in his career in New England and the offenses, how that changed over the years and what that means for the Bucks offense and how they looked this past season. So lots of layers to unpack, obviously, with this team early in the season. There were the struggles. There were the ups and downs. We're going to talk about kind of the things that changed after the bye week and why they're important to focus on as we get to the point where we're looking ahead to the 2021 season. So it's going to be exciting stuff. But first, got to mention that it's all brought to you by our friends over at Celsius. I got the tropical vibe here. The sparkling star fruit pineapple edition. Essential energy accelerates metabolism, burns body fat, no sugar. This stuff game-changing to drink, uh, gives you the energy you need without the drop-off, without any of the bad stuff for your body. Um, really just terrific stuff from Celsius. And you know because you hear us talk about it all the time, but go to Celsius.com, find this, use the store locator to find out where they're selling some of this great stuff near you. And then also click those Celsius ads over at PeterReport.com and you can uh, get a chance to, to place your order uh, for your own type of Celsius, whatever brand, whatever flavor you would like to try. I highly recommend tropical vibe it's brand new right now highly recommended they have celsius up there your your paul's in canada by the way near vancouver do they have celsius up there i gotta look into it i've been wondering that because you know if i'm gonna be on the podcast and watching it all the time i gotta support (laughs) that's right exactly yeah yeah no for sure it's one of the things that i i would never have expected to like an energy drink but ended up uh really falling in love with these and drinking them all the time so uh they are terrific stuff but yeah we'll have to see if they get them up there in canada uh or not all right, so here's here's what we gotta go. Here's what we gotta go. Oh, Michael Kiss gives a shout out. Haas, love it. Or right, most Bucks time twelve calls this most anticipated episode ever. Bring it on. Okay, all right. So this, the bar has been set. So we better deliver, Paul. Going into the bye week, there were obviously concerns with this team, uh, and I think especially the games right before the bye week. You and I have really, as we've talked about this and discussed it, we focused a lot on that Chiefs game. It was kind of like a culmination of all the things, even though there was all this talent and they almost won the game. They almost won that freaking game despite all these issues that we saw popping up on tape all over the place and had the fact that they looked so disjointed through the first five drives of the game and gave up 100 you know, points in the first quarter or whatever to Tyree Kill and Patrick Holmes. They still almost won this game, and, and there's reasons for that that we'll get into as well. But, man, it seemed like there were just a lot of issues kind of with this team in Week 12 going into the bye. It certainly cast a lot of doubt as to where this team could be headed. For sure. And I think one of the things that you harped on a lot throughout the season that I really agree with is process over results. And so this is why even going back to week one, uh, when I watched that tape, I didn't think Brady looked terrible. I thought he was okay. And he had some really impressive throws. And then similarly in week two and three in those Carolina and Denver games, I thought those might have been two of his best games of the year, even though the Mm -hmm. numbers aren't amazing. And you carry that type of same outlook throughout the season. And 
the common threads for me in terms of what were going wrong or what was happening wrong or poorly was from the process and a lot of the play calling type things. So they were in a lot of ways getting in their own ways uh, with a lot of uh, high frequency first down runs, putting them in poor situations, also handling blitzes either poorly or uh, pass protection breaking down or trying to throw hot in situations where it doesn't necessarily make sense to throw hot mm -hmm. or just outright calling plays that don't make sense against what would be the expected coverage. Um, that's actually another whole thing we could get into if you want. But yeah. one example of that is they love using a stick concept, which is really common throughout the NFL, where basically on the strong side, you have on the outside, you just have a guy running a go route. And then the, the two inside guys are running quick out routes and the innermost guy can sit down. The idea mm -hmm. of this play is to stretch the defense horizontally and find a spot in a zone. Yeah. The problem was the Bucks would call this play all the time on third and medium, third and short, when you're almost always going to face man, and mm -hmm. it just wouldn't work. So yeah. that's just one example of kind of them getting in their own way in a way that kind of makes you scratch your head. Right. And going into the bye, going uh, in that Chiefs game, you saw this a ton. And then after the bye, it seemed like they really started getting out of their own way a lot more, and that really unlocked the offense. Yeah, and a lot of things led to that, right? You talk about getting in their own way, and that was the kind of the theme through the first 12 weeks, right? Especially that middle lull part of the season, right? There was there was just obvious kind of weaknesses and things that this team could have been doing much better, and they couldn't – some of it was obvious, like drops in the running back's position, you know, that was, you know, okay. You know, we, we understand that th this is obviously an issue moving forward. But, yeah, there were other more schematic elements of the offense that made it puzzling, like play calls didn't seem to match up with scenarios and situational football that was sound. They continued to run you – know, running the ball on first down was such an emphasis, and it was like this is not – really conducive to success as we know from numbers in the nfl like running the ball in first down sure you can do it sometimes but if you do it predominantly it doesn't match up with kind of the expectation you're hoping for on first down in order to achieve achieve successful drives on a consistent basis so you know that's generally speaking you're talking more concept specific there too but there were ways that that was obviously kind of broken now what changed so they're coming so let's talk about week 12 a little more before we get maybe into even into to what changed but Yes, play calling in certain situations seemed odd. The other thing that we thought was overwhelmingly negative at times, in this, we saw it a, a lot in the Saints game, some in the Rams game, and I'm talking about the losses here, um, and, uh, and, and probably most predominantly in the Chiefs game, right? Like pressure, just they just didn't seem to be on the same page, have answers for it. Uh, hot routes didn't seem to be developing the way that they should be. What were your observations of this Bucks team in response to pressure before the bye week? Yeah, so they're kind of, if we're going to simplify it, there are two ways you can handle a blitz. One, you can identify it pre-snap and then bring in extra protection. So you can, maybe originally your tight end was supposed to run a route, but you tell him line up against the tackle and block instead. Yeah. Same, same idea with the running back. The other thing you can do is throw hot where you're maybe a receiver was uh, supposed to have a slower developing route, but knowing that it's a blitz, he's going to change his route into something that can catch the ball right away. Uh, so <clears throat> the problem with throwing hot, well, both have their pros and cons, but the problem with throwing hot, and that's really where Aaron's likes to go at, as opposed to extra protection, is that it requires the receiver and quarterback to really see things the same way. And as they've talked about so many times, they, uh, Brady and the receivers lost what would have been hundreds and hundreds of reps over the offseason from not mm -hmm. being able to do that. So we saw situations like, again, in that Chiefs game where Evans is, he's hot on a certain play and he runs into the coverage and then it hits a uh, defender's helmet, gets intercepted right here. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is pretty different from just as a, as a philosophy uh, again, to oversimplify, New England tended to bring in extra protection instead. They didn't tend to throw hot nearly as much as uh, Tampa did. And in yeah. fact, this specific play that they're running here, uh, Haas Juke, they, uh, the Patriots would, if they saw blitz when they were running Haas Juke, they would just switch out of the play and bring in extra protection. Whereas mm -hmm. what the Bucks did here is they stayed with five receivers out and they said, hey, we're going to actually just change one of the routes from a seam route to a quick little slant here. And mm -hmm. you saw the result. So again, that just really shows uh, part of the big difference between the two teams and how they approach things. Um, the problem with when they did try to bring an extra protection is that their running backs really didn't pass protect well at all. Fournette and Jones, this, this game is a great example of it. They struggled yeah. repeatedly. 
the bright spot for them was their tight end pass protection, specifically Gronkowski. I mean, mm-hmm. I thought they should have used him more, if anything, in pass protection in these situations. And, and in the playoffs, it seemed like they did, right? Like that seemed like that was something they had a heightened awareness of in the playoffs, that, that they needed to use him more in pass protection situations. Exactly. And if I, uh, I don't have the numbers off Tom ahead. And so, but if I recall correctly, they, they did use 12 personnel quite a bit with two tight ends. Uh, so then that way you can still uh, have a heavier personnel, but then you can use one of your tight ends in a route, one of them in pass mm-hmm. blocking. And that's different from another thing that the Bucks did a lot was they would use 12 heavy, which means one tight end and an extra tackle. So you have six offensive linemen instead. Mm-hmm. I really didn't like them doing that just because of how much talent they have at wide receiver and tight end. To me, it right. makes more sense to have as many as those guys out there as you can. But Sometimes anyway. it's that simple, right? There's no reason to overcomplicate it. You got like your six deep at receiver at least, and you're you know too deep, I guess, at that point at tight end. But you know, yeah. get those guys on the field; they're good. Yeah, Giants let's not <laughs> let them do their thing. Let Gronk block. Let Bright run a route. You know, it's not. Let's not make it too complicated. Right. Yeah. So there were a lot of layers to it. You know, you mentioned the the protection from the backs that, you know, some of this stuff isn't just schematic. Some of it is like players can't fulfill duties in, in certain roles. And so that alters what teams do schematically. Right. I mean, there was there was limitations to the Bucks in some ways from what they do schematically uh, at certain points of the season. You mentioned the backs. Obviously, this throw stands out to me as, you know, two guys. <laughs> I think they have six on five there and two guys come through and hit Brady. Brady's obviously still able to make a ridiculous throw, but I think it was a four net on that play. Maybe Rojo on another play later in the game that resulted in interception. This was kind of the quintessential game, right? Schematically, they didn't have the answers. Receivers at times didn't know when they should alter their route or or change things based on what the pressure was coming. Um, Brady maybe didn't keep blockers in as often as he should have either. We've, talked about this maybe i've heard so many different opinions on this this play right here this ab wheel route everybody remembers this because ab lined up in the backfield on this play uh, and everybody was like oh it's finally happening in particular it was kind of like we were wondering you know okay what's the answer should be should gronk be sitting down should ab be sitting down should gronk just staying in protection brady have made that adjustment because second drive of the game maybe wasn't where chiefs had tipped their hand a little bit that they were they were coming a lot. Um, so, you know, it was one of those situations where it felt like the the number of problems outweighed the possibility of them finding enough answers to be able to move out of week 12 and go on the type of run that they went on, yet they did it anyway. I mean, we obviously there's going to be layers to this, but in your mind, we'll start, we have to start somewhere, right, in terms of answering the question of what changed. So in your mind, as you start to look at what changed coming out of the bye week, and we've addressed kind of a lot of the issues that were there in week 12, what changed when they retook the field in week 14 and on that eight-game winning streak to the Super Bowl? Sure. So there are quite a few changes, but I think some were disproportionately more important than others. Mm -hmm. I think by far the most important thing in that regular season, at least after the bye, was the increased first down pass frequency. They were so good at doing it. So when they let themselves throw a little more on first down, you created fewer unfavorable situations. You're not in third and you're just not in third down as often because more often you're just picking up first downs on first down. You're not in second and long as often. Um, The other thing was more play action usage. They were terrific at play action. They have really nice concepts and they executed them really well and they just let themselves do it more often. And the third thing, which I didn't actually realize until I saw uh, Scotty Miller on Pat McAfee recently, uh, was that after the bye week, they gave Brady more, uh, uh, they kind of extended the rope and let him take over more control at the line of scrimmage. So you kind of mentioned this in the Chiefs game pre-buy where Brady, maybe he could have made more adjustments. Well, after the buy, they kind of gave him the keys to the engine and said, hey, you know what? At the line of scrimmage, you can do more with, uh, with whatever you see. Mm-hmm. So I think those three things really made the biggest difference for sure. It's crazy that Brady could be, you know, as established as he is and you still come into a new system, you have to learn a lot of things. But it's crazy to think about how much of this really was just cohesiveness. It was really just getting on the same page, believing in what each other was doing, kind of, and and understanding kind of what each other was thinking, you know, in terms of OC, quarterback, receivers, O-line, you know, as you get to the line of scrimmage and working out those kinks. And I honestly, I don't think they were even all worked out, by the way, at the end of the season. I, mean, I think they were still, even in the playoffs, it certainly lessened. Um, but this was still a group that sometimes played with one hand tied behind their back and felt like and, and put up 30 points every step of the way. Um, it gets everyone excited about this season, and we'll get to that more in a second about what it means for 2021. You mentioned play action per- percentage. We've talked about that a lot on the show, but 
specifically just how extreme it was. I mean, to go from being like a 17, 18% play action team through the first 12 games of the season, and then to come out of that and become like a 27, 28% play action team by the time the season was over, um, it just represented a huge philosophical leap. Like they obviously saw that it didn't have to be one thing that was repeated throughout the year was that had to be, it was run dependent, right? If you ran the ball well, we could also throw well off play action. Clearly there was a shift in their thinking, whether they'd say it that way or not, you could see from the results and when they were utilizing play action, a lot of that was happening on early downs. That confused teams because the one thing that I think had become true of Arians, he was predictable in certain situations. You know, he he ran the ball on first down. He didn't throw play action hardly at all. So whenever you saw the you know what would be a play fake, you bet because you didn't expect it to be a pass. And he was one of the lowest for years. He's been one of the lowest in the league. What's ironic about it is you mentioned it. He has unbelievable concepts off of play action. He's the guy that should be doing play action more than anyone. He wants to throw vertical. He wants to go down the field. Like he wants to bring the bring the tight end across the field and stretch the defense with verticals on the outside. He wants to do all the things that are aided by play action, and yet he's doing it less than anybody else. So we'll probably never know what shifted, but I think the play action and the fact that then they went and did it, what, 47% of the time yeah. uh, on your pass plays in the Super Bowl. I mean, just a massive difference for that team once they started using play action. Oh, no doubt. And I think I get some of the same criticism to a smaller extent that you do where it can come off as overly negative, but none of this is meant to be negative. It's, hey, look at how good they already were. And if they just do these things or change these little things, they can be even better which is yeah. so exciting as a, as a fan going into 2021. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, the play action concepts. I mean, I think one of the ways that they can uh, evolve in play action, and they kind of actually started doing this in the Super Bowl, is using play action as a part of their more uh, ball control passing game as well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be just for the deep shots. It can yes. be, you can run some of your base concepts that you would run on first down out of play action instead, and they're actually going to become more effective. Right. And that, that was something that you saw them utilize at times too. Do you remember um it's a play that got called back? It might have been you and I discussing. I want to say this play was against Detroit, maybe when they were thumping Detroit, uh, and they used it late in the game, but they ran like a it was kind of like a um it was a fake reverse to A B or face to a fake end around to A B, a play action fake, and then Brady turns around, throws it at Godwin touchdown. Donovan Smith got called for holding and it came back. And I think we probably scored anyway on the drive. But um it was kind of one of those plays where it's like, oh, well, all right, like you're figuring out all the different things you can you can do off play action, obviously, but you're figuring out all the different ways you can incorporate it. And then it's kind of like, oh, you're working in ghost, you know, return motions with Scotty Miller and you're throwing a screen, you know what I mean, to Gronk at, at a pivotal moment in the Packers game. And you're working concepts, you know, that basically you just didn't have in your playbook at the beginning of the year. They didn't have, I think it was earlier in that game or the game before, they'd used some type of motion like that with Scotty Miller and then they'd thrown him the ball. And so everybody's seeing that, or maybe it was the Saints game that they did that, and then everybody's kind of seeing that in the Packers game, and they're being like, oh, we know what this play is, and then no, it was something built off of that, and now they're using that backfield deception to throw out to Gronk and to get him into space and to get him a yak opportunity, which obviously was one of the plays of the game. So, yeah, I think Michael Anderson's right on here. They felt like they could have used another month to get even better, and I think that's what's in front of them now, right? They've got that kind of an opportunity. But you mentioned some of the things that changed one of the things that's most interesting to me um, is something that uh, that Jack, our friend Jack Barrett wrote, uh, who we've talked about on the show before and talked about some of the, the numbers work that Jack has done for, uh, for us and kind of showing us what changed after the bye week. One of the things that he highlighted in these reports that he sent us about the things that he's found is that the Bucks did throw vertical less after the bye week, but they really were never hesitant to throw vertical there was more of a reliance on horizontal concepts than there had been before. There was more reliance on being able to find some of those higher percentage throws in their offense, but yet still a very much a willingness to throw deep when necessary. So it was an interesting combination where before it felt like they were so vertical in the way they threatened you. Um, not, it felt like after the bye week, there was more answers for teams, right? And Brady's obviously so comfortable with the horizontal stuff. You've talked, we've talked about that before together. For sure. I mean, I think that's a great observation. Uh, and it's I, that matches the eye test as well. And it's cool that Jack has the data to back that up, mm -hmm. uh, especially because I know he breaks it down route by route on each play. So I was initially thinking about just looking at air yards per attempt. 
but I don't think that gives as detailed of an answer as what Jack might be able to do when he actually looks mm -hmm. at every single play and every single route. And he can actually see like, oh, they're calling fewer, you know, go routes on the outside or whatever it might be. And I think one of the things going forward is uh, they initially, they were very vertical, like you said, and very sideline oriented. There were a lot of difficult plays where it's like double, double out routes to the outside. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, to put it simply, if I want to gain 10 yards, I'm going to start by trying to throw it inside to gain those 10 yards instead of to the sideline, because that's a much farther throw. So I'll take that sideline throw once you take away the inside one, but let me start mm -hmm. with the inside. Yes, and similarly, yes. let me start horizontal before I go vertical. So, but I think Arians kind of looks at it the other way around. And that's one of the things I'm really curious about is how he approaches. I don't know if you want to get into next season right now, but. Oh yeah, go for it. Sure. So I think one of the things that's going to happen a lot more next season is a lot more too high coverages, yes. whether that be man or zone. And we saw what Arian's inclination was against too high this year. It's to pound the rock. Right. Because if you're going to really get to the essence of Arian's system, it's he wants to run duo, force you to bring in an extra safety into the box, so you're single high. Then he wants to run go, which is his core pass concept, which is mm -hmm. uh, some people call it 989. Uh, mm -hmm. It's basically attacking deep. Those are the two staple plays of his offense. So right. if he can't get you to go into single high, He's going to keep running the ball and hope that you do it. But I think what's going to happen next year is if teams insist on staying in sing, uh, too high, mm -hmm. Arians needs to expand his offense and be more willing to take the short horizontal stuff because that's where those mismatches will come against too high defenses. You're not going to be able to just launch it deep all the time, nor will it be in their favor if they stay so committed to the run the way they did in the playoffs against the Saints uh, mm -hmm. and at times in the first half against Green Bay. So I think that's one of the really interesting things to look forward in, in next season. How do they tackle that? Because, by the way, the teams that did play single high last season, off the top of my head, the Chargers, Detroit, Falcons, a couple of others, they got completely torched. You can't play single high against this team. The receivers are too good. They have too many concepts to beat that coverage. And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to – I think the frequencies are really going to change next year. You need to at least show, you know, even if you're if you're not playing too high, at least show it pre-snap, rotate out of it, similar to what the Rams did, you know, consistently. Yeah. But you have to make them kind of move off what they optimally do. And then you can roll your coverage and alter some of the things that you do a little bit. But yeah, overall, I mean that you you definitely need to base, in my opinion, out of too high. And and, and again, why wouldn't you? In this, I'll get to I want to hear what passing answers you have first but let's talk about just the run game for a second if you're a team playing the bucks bruce Arians has never really had a run i mean not in recent years anyways they ever had a rushing attack that made you go wow like i'm real afraid you know what i mean like take a guy out of the box like duo is a hard concept or i get i love the simplicity of it i love the fact that you set up a, a you know a, a option for the back right there isn't just one defined space within which to win you have double teams working and you're giving the back options to be able to read and go but here's the other thing paul that that is blows my mind about duo a little bit is that the bucks are so reliant on running inside the tackles we almost never see them get outside the tackles so if you can ever force a team into doing something that constrains their options like running the ball a lot does for the bucks to me you've really won a lot of the battle um, so it always fascinated me that teams refused to go too high early on against the Bucs and felt like they couldn't do that throughout a whole game when it was clear that Arians has always been somebody who would love to attack single high to type of defense. And when he decides to run the ball, when he sees that too high and he decides to run the ball, they overwhelmingly weren't very successful. I mean, they were okay, um, but it was it's not a dynamic scheme in terms of running the football. And I think whenever you can force somebody out of what they do best, you've really had a lot of success <laughs> for sure. And I think this is one of the things that the numbers have been showing this for years and you're starting to see offensive coaches realize this more and especially defensive coaches. And that's the fact that four yards on first down isn't a successful play for the offense. I think that's kind of been the conventional thinking before, Hey, let's get four yards three times in a row, which is really hard yeah. to do. Yeah. Uh, but uh, We can see this just by EPA and I won't get into the details and bore everyone with it, but four yards on first down, decreases your chances of scoring on this drive. It doesn't increase it. You, on right. first down, depending on exact field position, you need at least six, oftentimes seven yards for, for your chances of scoring on that drive to actually go up. Mm -hmm. So again, if, if you're the defense and you're saying, hey, I can play too high and I can actually get the offense to just take four yards, I'll do that every single time. I mean, if I'm the defense, I'll happily start on second and six every single time as opposed to first and 10. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you 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 need to be able to find those percentages that help you win, right? Like that's we don't like to break the game down into math ways, but like that's literally how you get outcomes on the field. Like you have to play those ter- certain percentages. You know, it isn't it isn't unrelated to football to be able to to articulate that part of the the situation. Like that is what helps you win games. That is what helps teams win games by when they understand situational football. And situational football is all about those numbers and what happens in those situations. Doesn't mean that something can happen outside of the the percentages that those numbers suggest. It just means the likelihood is less. And that's what I've always said to people. It doesn't mean this is gospel. It just means it's most likely scenario in which to obtain a positive outcome. That's all that it is. So I think it's, it's yeah, it's a good, good example of what I think what they, what they really need to do, the Bucks do, is, is like you said, have more answers for when teams go you know, too high against them. Now, why do I think teams will go too high against them? And you, you sound off on this as well if you want to, but obviously the success of the, of the Bucks passing attack, I mean, last year, I think. Not sure why enough teams didn't do it as the year went on. Some teams certainly did. I mean, we saw the Saints do it at times. Uh, Jack mentioned the Rams um, do, doing it, at least at the outset, uh, pre-snap, looking like they were doing it. And um, so I think that there are examples of teams that had success doing it against the Bucks in their passing attack. But I think we'll see it more and more as teams have the offseason to kind of study and adjust. I think we're already going to see more of it across the league um, as teams have the offseason to, to, to see what worked in the NFL last year and see what – the Rams did throughout a lot of last year running so much cover for. Um, and I think it's going to force Arians to make tough decisions with some of his concept and Leftwich too. And this is where Leftwich influences may be huge, right? Because Leftwich, I think, showed an ability to really change last year. Arians has said Leftwich had the reins, you know, it might have been his concepts initially, but Leftwich is the one that altered some things. Like he's the, you know, he Arians gave Leftwich all the credit for that. He and Brady. So that gives me some hope, Paul, because of the control is in those guys hands i think they've shown they're more likely to change and alter what they've done based on new information than maybe arians was at one point in time i could totally see that and you you listen to the way that arians talks about Leftwich. i mean he he raves about him and talks yeah. about him as one of the smartest football minds there is and i think one of the things that's so easy to forget is arian or Leftwich has been a play caller for such a short period of time I don't remember the exact years, but I remember seeing a post on Reddit about this or a comment about how long uh, uh, was it Kyle Shanahan was a QB coach and then an offensive coordinator before he became a head coach. It was a really, really long time and before uh, before he really became what he is now. And this this sort of thing takes time. Yeah. But as far as answers to, to the two high coverages next year, um, I think one, first of all, they do need to be able to run the ball better. Uh, yep. By no means am I someone who thinks that you should never run the ball. I think you need to do it effectively, and I think you need to do it uh, intelligently. And there's some sort of optimal pass-run mix frequency uh, mm-hmm. for every team. We don't know what that number is, but by all likelihood, almost every single team still is running too much, especially on mm-hmm. first downs. Um, but you still need to be able to do it, and you still need to be able to do it well. So that maybe that means introducing more counters, right? You've talked about this before. You yeah, can't sure. let it just be inside zone and duo. You need to let's get outside the tackles. Um, secondly, you need to be able to attack the flats and the hook areas. And uh, I think in, a, in, a, in the most simple way possible, if teams are playing too high man, I'm looking to the mismatch the running back. And now they have uh, Geo to do that. Because oftentimes you're going to have a linebacker against them and you're going to have a huge speed mismatch to the outside. If we're playing against two high zones, whether that be cover four, cover two, I'm looking for mismatches in the slot because your slot receiver is going to often have a linebacker mm-hmm. across from him. So that means maybe uh, juke routes, uh, whip routes, that sort of thing, choice routes, whatever it might be. And you want to be able to attack short and underneath. And Not necessarily Arian Staples, though, of his no. offenses in the past. Yeah, and the, and one of the interesting things was was when he ran a lot of the juke routes or uh, when they ran Haas Juke, for example, the times that they did, they really liked using a tight end in the slot, which mm-hmm. I don't really love because to me, when you're against zone and you have that uh, that juke route, I want my fastest and most agile guy running it, Antonio Brown, you know, uh, Godwin. I want them against the linebacker, not a tight end, because that's kind of just playing into the defense's hands mm-hmm. a little bit. So I think those are kind of the three main ways that you can attack, you know, in the most simple way possible. Run the ball uh, better and have more wrinkles in your run game. Two, attack the flats and uh, against against zones, attack the insides against the linebackers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think play action can play a lot of, a lot into that as well. 
funny enough, we saw we maybe saw a preview of this in the Super Bowl because the Chiefs did actually play quite a few too high coverages. And then we saw that new RPO kind of thing that they'd never done where Gronk comes in on a slide route from, from one side of the formation to the other side. And what happened is basically you're creating a vertical stretch and then you're giving Gronk time to come from one side of the formation to the other. Yeah. And by the time he gets to the other side of the formation, that space is kind of opened up a little bit. And you mm-hmm. take a short little pass that's maybe like, you know, five actual yards and it turns into a touchdown, 10 yards, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So if we can get more of that stuff, I think this team is going to, it's gonna, they're going to have the answers to the, to the mm-hmm. problems they face. Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how much they're willing to adjust and change and be different. That's going to be the one thing that everybody talks about the talent, everybody coming back, and you know you know what the Bucks are hitting for, right? Like, you, you know these guys are good. There's not a lot of unknowns on the team. There's not a lot of unknowns in the starting lineup. You even know the depth at this point is pretty good. I mean, sure, players regress and, and progress, and you, it's hard to predict all of that. But generally speaking, it'd be shocking if the Bucks players weren't, weren't good this year. I think the, the question mark then becomes, okay, like you said, it's hard to repeat, and like we, we've said on the show before it's hard to repeat but it's obviously not impossible one thing that it requires is changing being able to change and adapt and that's something that they're going to still have to answer right nobody was terrified of the bucks coming out of the bye week and then for eight weeks they took advantage and made a run now teams are going to prep and they're going to be ready and they're going to have to have answers uh, to those things one of the things that to me is most encouraging about what they did and what some of the things they changed was the advancements in the screen game overall, um, you know, definitely the backs got better at part of that was Rojo playing less because he was so bad at him, but the backs got better at being at their landmarks, finishing, catching the football, getting up the field, reading blocks, being patient, things like that, man. I mean, those are, those are those plays when you can call them and they got them up in some first down situations where it's less predictable. Everybody's looking for it on third and long. Some people still hit it, but it's more predictable in those situations, second and long. But when you do it on first and 10, it's not exactly what people are thinking. So you have to be able to execute, though. If you can't execute a simple screen when you've caught him off guard on first and 10, you're in second and 10, and you're demoralized because you just missed a prime opportunity to make a big play. And that happened too many times with the Bucs last year. But it's not just to backs, right, to receivers, too, to answers to pressure. Uh, when teams would try to send pressure Atlanta, I think in that week uh, 15 game when Atlanta tried to send pressure, the Bucs countered by throwing quickly, getting the ball out, uh, setting stuff up on the perimeter, letting the receivers go to work after the catch. Again, responses that we haven't always seen from an Arians offense, probably due to the influence of left, which really made a big difference in how they uh, played against pressure. Yeah, I think that I'm glad you mentioned the screen game because that's another great way to handle the blitz uh, that I forgot to mention before. Not only does it counter blitz as well, it also de-incentivizes teams from blitzing in the first place. The issue with the Bucs is they just couldn't execute that run back screen game at all, whether it just be running backs dropping the ball or just spacing issues, whatever it might be. And then instead, what we kind of saw the Bucs transition to was uh, like bubble routes or quick routes to the wide receiver. Kind of, I don't know if you'd call it a screen, but you saw a lot of that type of stuff. And those were okay. They were hit and miss, but they're not going to be really there. It's kind of a band-aid solution because you can't get the running back screen game going. Mm-hmm. But with uh, with Gio and maybe with Rojo perhaps taking a step forward in the offseason, that's another element that they can really add to that game because it's a, it's a great ball control type play where maybe you can gain seven yards on first down, which is an awesome result. Maybe you can pick up a first down. It's, it's easy on the quarterback, and it, it just lets your, uh, line mat, or your lineman just get upfield and attack. And, you know, right. I think that's fun for them. It's, it's good for your offense. It slows down the defense. There's a lot of positives that come from it. And if you're if you're just totally having to take that out of your playbook, it's kind of playing, it's like tying one hand back, you know. It's mm-hmm. you're you're, yep. you're you're a little bit handicapped with it. Right, right. Brandon Thorne was on our show uh, a couple, was it a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, maybe at this point. I don't know, time's flying. But uh, he mentioned that how good Ryan Jensen and Ali Marpet and some of these guys are out in space and how little the Bucks get them out in space, even on even on counters, even just as pullers, they don't do it very often. And especially in the screen game, when they started to do that, the results really were good. I mean, everybody could probably think of that Chris Godwin third down conversion against the Packers. It was like a third and 11 tunnel screen, and they got Jensen out there, and he pancaked like three people. You know, that kind of stuff could be effective. But you mentioned uh, this guy right here too, and I think, yeah, I'm safe to say the Bucks probably didn't have anybody who could do this last year. In their Jeez, offense. look at that. I mean, <laughs> just a creator. I mean, the cuts, the movement. I still think, Paul, that we've undersold what Giovanni Bernard can be. I mean, 
this is a guy that was toiling in obscurity in Cincinnati. He never really got much opportunity to be a primary back. That offensive line has been terrible for years. Uh, there's just not a lot of reason to be optimistic about him where he was. And he's gone from one of the worst situations for a running back in the league to probably one of the best situations for a running back in the league for a position that is so dependent on the situation, right? Like running back, you need blocking. You need ways to get him the football. You need opportunity. He is clearly the best pass protecting and receiving back in Tampa Bay. And whatever Aaron's might say and or whatever he might say about Rojo and Leonard and running the football – He's always kind of favored backs who could catch the football, man. Like that's at the end of the day, those guys are the ones that find their way onto the field in crunch time. And I think there's just going to be a ton of plays this year for Bernard to make out on the field. No doubt. I mean, if you can turn what would be an incompletion into just five yards, I mean, over if you can do that once a game, that can add up. That can make a huge difference. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you know, I think there's a there at least was a perception of Brady where he just maybe prefers to throw to running backs because it's easier or whatever. I think what it really is, is that Brady processes his reads so quickly mm -hmm. and he, he'll get to that third and fourth read more often than another quarterback will. And, mm -hmm. and the third and fourth read is often that check down to the running back. And that's why he ends up getting it there so often. So if you're able to take advantage of that, that's going to be awesome. That keeps you on schedule. I think that's uh, actually going back. I was watching some Jameis tape and because it's such a vertical offense, it's important that you're able to get through your reads quickly and take those checkdowns if you have to. And one of the things that I really saw with Jameis that obviously changed a ton this year was Jameis would get stuck on that first read like no quarterback I've ever seen. He would stare at one guy. doesn't matter what the defense is doing. He's throwing there. And that that's resulted how, in – That's how Mike Evans ended up with like 173 targets. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He, you, were, you were shocked if you got to even a second read and forget about the third read. So, you know, but when you now have a guy who's going to get through one, two, three, all in rhythm by the time he's finishing his drop back, even mm -hmm. he can really get that running back involved and that can really, un, uh, uh, you know, get your offense to a whole different level. And it's, right. it's insane to me that they didn't have this last year and they were still so good. Like it's, right. it's almost unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. I mean, even if you think about the Super Bowl, we've talked about this, but they, really should have scored twice more in the Super Bowl and it had nothing to do with the Chiefs. It was all them that they didn't score. I mean, we mentioned, or remember the Rojo, obviously the fourth down play, you know, where they get stood up a couple times. And I think there's an opportunity there to score and it just doesn't, doesn't do it. Uh, doesn't get it done. And, and obviously Joe Haig drops the touchdown too, you know, good play by Chiefs linebacker to recover there for sure. But uh, you know, there's obviously there's a touchdown there that should have been scored. That was not, you know, and, and then you go later in the game and right. There's that, that uh, what, what concept, uh, the Tanner Hudson play where Tanner Hudson runs to the front pylon instead of the spear. Yeah. The spear concept where the safety vacates the middle of the field and Tanner Hudson's supposed to take that route to the back pylon and, and, uh, and make that catch back there where Brady's putting the ball. And instead he doesn't, and he cuts his route really shallow and runs to the front pylon and Brady's putting it where it's supposed to be. And he's not there. And it's an easy touchdown. If, if Hudson reads it the right way, then you have the wheel route to Godwin right on like the very next play, I think. That should be a touchdown, and Marpet gets beat. That never happens. And uh, Brady gets hit as he throws, and the pass is a little bit off target, and Godwin catches it, but he's out of bounds. Um, and that's another one they should have. So, I mean, there were, like, multiple missed opportunities on offense in that game, and yet still 31-9, to really not, not in doubt very much after the second half started. So you're right. It's kind of, well, man, what could be in store for this team uh, if they're able to iron out these things? There's certainly a lot still to learn, um, but got to be encouraged by what you've seen so far. If people in the chat have any questions, uh, send them our way here as we get ready to wrap up the show. We might answer one or two. If you've got some questions for us, uh, throw them out there in the chat. Want to make sure to remind everybody that as they're thinking through what they want to be doing this weekend, make sure you are giving a call over to Briar Greaves. You don't stay in business for over 30 years if you aren't doing something right. Briar Greaves does a lot of things right, but none more than giving exceptional personal service to their insurance customers. We all need insurance, whether it's life, homeowners, auto, or even commercial insurance. Briar and Sam Greaves and their staff are the best in the area and big Bucks fans. It will literally take you 10 minutes to get a quote or compare your current policy, and that 10 minutes could turn into hundreds of dollars in savings. Don't wait. Call Briar Greaves today at 813-876-4166 and find out how much money you can put back in your pocket. 30 years in business and buck season ticket holders. Call Briar or Sam today and tell them pewterreport.com, Pewter Report Podcast sent you there. 
we'll get to a couple of these questions and thoughts about the, what people have uh, here. Michael Henderson wants to know, what about the defense? Uh, defensively for the Bucs, we did have this it's kind of an offensive-oriented um, um, podcast, but defensively, it's a good question for Michael because there's also going to be changes on that side of the ball, Paul. As we talked about teams becoming maybe more aggressive with their coverages against the Bucs and going too high and asking if the Bucs can still beat them vertically, there's also going to be, I think, similar stress on the defense, right? I think teams are going to – I mean, Bucks have been the number one ranked run defense for two straight years. They have everybody back. It's Todd Bowles. You know he's going to commit to it. And teams still trying to run the football against them. I just think after two years, people are going to be like, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> like We're coming right for these guys from the outset. We're throwing the ball. And to me, it should push the Bucks into doing more too high coverages as well. I don't know if you've thought about that at all. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think – um, in that playoff run, I was way more impressed by the changes that Bulls made rather than mm -hmm. uh, Leftwich. I think, if anything, Leftwich maybe until the Super Bowl at least regressed a little bit from the post by regular season. Uh, whereas yeah, Bulls, he started he he made a huge changes from what he was doing in the regular season. One, he Massive. started playing more press men, more too high coverages, um, and I think you know you mentioned them being the number one run defense. I think a lot of that is schematic, and I think it's. It's almost a mistake, which might sound a little crazy, because the reason is um, the Bucks they played so many single high coverages on first down. And as a result, the Bucks opponents ended up passing more against the Bucks than any other team. So put yeah. simply, teams threw against the Bucks on first down at the highest percentage against any opponent in the NFL, basically, mm -hmm. which is not really what you want. You want teams because just as simply as because passing is more efficient. Right. You want you want teams. To, to run the ball. So if you can start playing too high more often and induce the, induce the run, your whole defense might actually become more efficient, even mm. though your run defense might become less efficient. Yeah. Uh, it, as a whole, it can still get better. You, uh, you, have, you have to be willing to sacrifice their run defense a little bit. You do. And yeah. that, that's something I thought that, uh, that uh, uh, Brandon Staley just emphasized that so well last year. You know, And the Bucks, by the way, have the perfect people to be able to do it. Because, yeah, at times when you do this, you want everybody to like gap and a half or maybe one guy, two gaps up front. Well, you have probably the you know, two gapping is not necessarily in vague now these days, but like you have uh, Vita Vea. Like you have a guy yeah. like that that can do rare things up front for your defense. It's not the same as having Aaron Donald and what he gave the Rams, but it's a different way of still accomplishing something unique up front because of your personnel. And I think the Bucs have the opportunity to do that. I don't care if they're a little bit worse against the run because all the data shows us that if you can be a, a little bit or a lot better against the pass and worse against the run, you're going to be a much, not a little bit, a much better defense and a much more consistent defense. Again, their ability to achieve good results, especially in the post or two, right? Shouldn't it, Paul? That should be an indicator because they really, even when the offense picked it up to after the bye week, the defense, other than the, the, the Lions game, which we throw out, you know, that they really weren't very good. I mean, still like the Vikings game, they missed all those kicks and were horrible in the red zone, but they they still moved the ball like crazy against the Bucs. The Bucs made some timely plays, no doubt, not taking everything away from both Falcons games. The defense was not very good um, and, and kind of was hanging in there. So it really was a total, even the, the Washington game, not very good. And then after that, it was like a complete 180. So, but schematically, yes, I agree with you. I think that was what was holding the group back more than anything. And if some of those changes can go into effect long-term, it's going to have a big difference. Yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you brought that up because it's so easy to forget all the defensive struggles early in the mm -hmm. year, in the past game specifically. And I think when you really look at it from a process standpoint, you look at stuff like playing soft zones against Drew Brees, a guy who can barely throw 25 yards. Like, are you kidding me? Like, force him right. to, to make the deeper throws. And I want to say, you know, I felt like uh, Goff in that Rams game – Felt like he had like a ninety percent completion uh, in the in the first half, maybe three quarters, because they were again just giving everything quick and short, and um, and yeah, that really changed in the playoffs. So just from a process standpoint, they started playing tighter, they started playing more too high coverages, and uh, you know I think going into next year that can be a huge advantage for them. And I think one of the other things that might regress the defense a little bit is uh, I think they they had a little bit of positive turnover variance. One of the things that numbers have kind of showed, which is really interesting and maybe counterintuitive, is that turnovers have more to do, a lot more to do with the offense making a mistake or just kind of sometimes luck than it does yeah. the defense creating a turnover. So there, right. was, there was a fumble in one of the Atlanta games where it's just on a handoff, the ball just slips. You look at the stat sheet, like, you know, however many months from now, and you look at a 
fumble forced, which it really wasn't. Mm -hmm. um, and year to year, turnover uh, rates tend to not be stable at all. So basically what that means is a team could have a ton of turnovers on defense one year, and that doesn't say tell us anything about what their turnover is going to look like next year. Mm -hmm. But if you do what you can control, which is the type of coverages you're playing, how you're, uh, what you're incentivizing the offense to do, what you're taking away, then then that's the best you can do. You do everything that you can control, and you mm -hmm. hope for the best. And I and I think from what we saw in the playoffs, I'm feeling pretty good about Bulls, which I didn't think I would be saying at, at the bye week. I thought he was going to be as stubborn as he possibly can be. This is my way. This is how we're doing it. Yeah. And now I'm like, hey, maybe he's a little more open-minded than I realized. It's interesting because throughout his career, he, he had been as stubborn as Arians had been, really. Like, that was the big thing holding both of them up. Everybody knew they could coach, could scheme. Players loved both of them, but both just rarely deviated from what they did. And you have to be adaptable in today's NFL. And I think it's the biggest thing that they both, to some degree, whatever the hand they had in it, changed last season as the year went on. I mean, Bulls to be able to get away from – we're not talking about just one season either. We're talking about year-long trends. Years back on the going Jets. back to the Jets, right? Yeah. Um, it just shocked people that he played against. They couldn't believe that he played things as differently as he did uh, in those games, especially I'm thinking late in that Packers game. Um, he made the Packers just kind of go underneath, 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 a lot of short stuff to work their way down the field. Then obviously strong performance in the red zone uh, down there too, but and he did it with a couple backups in the game at that point in time. So yeah, it was uh, it was something else. Uh, I don't know what we're gonna see this year, but I would hope that he would see that and oh, we won a Super Bowl. I should probably look at what we did here and see if it's see if it's something I can carry over into the next season. Uh, last question before we wrap this thing up. Andy wants to know. John wanted to know your feelings on both starters and backups. Which area of the team is weakest? At this point, yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's show too, Andy. So we might be some detail on that if you want to go back and listen to Matt and I yesterday. But um, to me, I don't really see an area that I would call weak. But I would say like in terms of depth, I definitely feel like, well, in terms of starters, I think the running back position is still a question mark. In terms of depth, I think that the biggest thing that stands out to me is like you couldn't lose an offensive tackle on this team. Like I – if you lost one, I just I just don't have that kind of faith in Josh Wells. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he balls out. I just at this point in your career, I think that's a tough position to play, and I wouldn't want to trust him for any extended period of time. Um, defensively, I think it's more like individuals. Like I'm not sure you could lose Carlton Davis. I'm not sure you could lose Levante David or Vita Vea. Like those guys are just kind of unique. They ask Carlton to do a ton. They ask him to mark number ones. I don't really think there's another corner that I trust right now on this team. Um, so he's very, very valuable. Levante David, even though I think the Bucks linebacker situation is pretty, pretty good. Um, he's just so unique in what they ask him to do. They would have to change their what they what they do basically if they lost somebody like Levante. And then you know, Vita Vea, they're okay without him against the run. I'm sure they'll be fine. But yeah, our type of player, right? We're talking about a unique difference maker with Vita Vea, and you don't necessarily get that with the other guys on that D line. So. There's really not a weak spot um, per se on the team, um, but the, if just among starters, I just I'm not sure I feel about Sean Murphy Bunting and Jamel Dean yet. I don't know about you, Paul, but it just feels like to me I just need to see it for a longer, more sustained period of time before I'm going to believe in those guys. Yeah, and I think a part of that doubt comes from what they were being made to play. Right, they were forced yeah. to play soft zones all season, and. I think um, I think you've mentioned this before too. They they're really more man defense kind of guys, and I think they played. I think they looked a lot better in the playoffs when they played those type of coverages than they did before. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of the ball, I still think running back is kind of uh, a bit of a question mark. Um, I think I the way I see this playing out, I think Fournette's going to be the odd man out in terms of reps. Yeah. I see Rojo and Geo taking the large ball, and if Rojo can take a step up in that pass game and just become a an, an average catcher, an average pass blocker, then I really don't see Fournette playing much at all. And it'd be so good for the offense because one other tiny concern that I have about the offense is are they going to get into a situation that the Patriots were in with Sony Michelle and James White, where Sony Michelle was just not good in the pass game. And just by t seeing who's in the game, you could predict quite accurately whether it was going to be a pass or a run. Like mm -hmm. The frequencies were totally out of whack. And it wasn't just a matter of, you know, one guy always played third down, one guy played first down. 
even if you looked at first down and looked mm-hmm. at who was in the game, you'd be able to tell what they were going to do really accurately. So mm-hmm. is Rojo going to be as much of a liability as he was in the past game this year? And is that mm-hmm. going to force the Bucks' hand a lot in terms of sending out Geo on pass plays on first down? Or is he going to be able to just get a little bit better and then make the team so much more unpredictable? Yeah, I think that that's an absolute huge key because – it's sort of set up as kind of a similar situation where right now Rojo and Leonard to a degree are not very good in the past game. And so it's like Sonny Michelle and, you know, Giovanni Bernard is similar to James White in some ways and that they have never really been every down, you know, ball carrying back. So that you don't necessarily think of them as big run game contributors. So there is some ability for it to set up that way tendency wise. And it's going to be something they're going to have to get away from. I'd, I'd be curious to see Giovanni Bernard run the ball more in, in this offense with this group. I mean, he just hasn't really, I, people in Cincinnati always wanted him to play more. Like they were just like, why, why does this organization hate Giovanni Bernard? You know, and obviously he's an awesome dude. So I just think there could be a lot more in store for him uh, in the future. So I think, yeah, there's, there's still a lot there uh, to be learned for sure. Josh Allen with a shout out uh, wants to say what's up. Our, our, our Spotify green room partner in crime there. Uh, so yeah, we appreciate everybody jumping in and this has been fun, Paul, everybody make sure you follow Paul. If you're on Twitter, follow him at Hoss Y juke. Um, he does some great work on there. Great breakdowns whenever he gets a chance to, we got to get you on the show today, by the way, cause it's Canada day. So I should say happy Canada day to you. you. That allowed you to get out of uh, work today and uh, <laughs> be able to jump on the show. So yeah. we're pumped to have you, man. It was great, great insights on this team. And it certainly won't be the last time we have you on to talk about this team. Awesome. It was really cool uh, being on here. Thanks for having me. And if anyone does want to go back and look at old breakdowns, they're actually basically all on Reddit. That's where mm-hmm. I did most of my uh, breakdowns. It's the right. same as my Twitter handle. You can find me there on, on the Buccaneer subreddit. Um, but yeah, this is super cool being on here, and uh, thanks for having me. I'm Absolutely, sure we man. This all day. Oh, we could have. Yeah, yeah, no question about it. And and we will at some point. Uh, we'll have a lot to talk about during the season, I'm sure, as well. So it's going to be uh, fun. Josh, giving you the shout-out here, amazing breakdowns. Definitely give him a follow for sure. Hit that like button. And follow the Pewter Report podcast on on uh, on YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you got the bell for the notifications for when we go live. We'll be off Monday next week as we celebrate the 4th of July that day, and people are off enjoying time with their families. And then, obviously, we'll be back Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern. We'll be live on those days. We've got some fun guests lined up for you all. I'm going to probably announce those early next week. We confirm again, just make sure with them uh, as we head into the week. But we've got some fun guests lined up for you all next week, some big name guests for you all next week. In the, in the, in the lulls of the offseason, we're going to be bringing the heat at Peter Report. That's what we do. So uh, we'll uh, appreciate you all until then, and uh, we'll catch you again next time on another edition of the Peter Report Podcast. Out. <laughs>